0: Jesus changes everything. It's been famously said that there is only one constant in life, and it is change. There's one constant in life, and it is change. The idea here is this. Change is happening all the time, and it's happening all around us. And for the most part, we understand this. We get this. We know that times change. We know that trends change. How many of you have ever gone back and looked at photos of yourself from a couple decades ago and you cringed when you look at the haircut or the outfits or the things that you wore? Why? Because things change, right? (laughs) Things change. We know that not only do Trends change and times change around us. Technology is changing so rapidly, you can't even keep up with it. You know, even as a human, as you grow, your body changes, your likes, your dislikes change. Things are changing all the time. In fact, uh, often change is happening so rapidly and, 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 and in our lives all the time that we don't even notice it sometimes. It's, it's so minuscule. It's just a part of our regular rhythm. Change is just a part of our lives. But how many of you know there are certain moments, certain things that when they change, it changes everything? right? Like for many of you in the room, that moment when you went from being single to being married, how many of you know, going from being single to being married changes everything, right? All of a sudden, what happens? How you spend your time changes, how you spend your money changes, your sleeping patterns change, your priorities change, the rhythm of everything in your life changes. Why? Because something major in your life just shifted and now everything's different. You can no longer just leave your clothes on the ground. Hello, somebody you got to pick up after yourself, gentlemen, because things have changed, right? You can't just sit down and watch whatever show you want to watch. you got to agree on something now. You're like, things change. And right when you think you're starting to get some semblance of rhythm in this new life of marriage, boom, kids come along and it changes all over again. All of a sudden, what happens? How you spend your time changes again. How you spend your money changes again. Your sleeping patterns are jacked up all over the place, right? Things that you agreed on a couple months ago, now you disagree on, right? Like everything's up all over the place. Why? Because sometimes when things change, everything changes. And to be honest, it should change. It should change. Think about how weird And even inappropriate, it would be for a newly married person to continue to act and live like they were single. How many of you know that marriage would not last very long? Right. That marriage would not last because you have entered into a new reality and that new reality requires change. Right. You have to function differently because things have changed changed. How many of you know it would be weird and incredibly inappropriate for a new parent to continue to live and function as if they did not have a child? You would be calling CPS really quick, right? Because when things change, often it requires you to change. When things change, often it requires you to change. And friends, can I tell you this morning, Jesus did not come to earth for things to stay the same. Jesus did not get up out of heaven and come to earth so we could continue to operate under the same system of being made right with God. He came to establish a new covenant, a new way to be made right with God. And if when Jesus showed up on the earth, things changed, how many of you know we should change too? When we experience the grace of God, when we experience the message of the gospel, the gospel should not leave you the way it found you. The gospel should change you. And listen, I get it. It's a process. How many of you know, we're all in process. We're all in the process of allowing God to change us. But here's the the encouragement we're gonna get from Hebrews chapter nine. And the challenge I wanna bring to all of us today, if Jesus changes things, How does he want to change me today? How does God want to change you? I'm gonna take a look at three things here in Hebrews chapter nine that Jesus came to change. And I hope you'll write them down. We only have a few minutes together, but I just pray in these next few moments as we look at Hebrews chapter nine and we research this idea of how Jesus changes things, that it would challenge us, that it would encourage us. But do me a favor and do yourself a favor. Don't let these truths go in one ear and out the other. Write them down. Because when you write things down, you have a much better chance of remembering what God is saying to you today. And you can only put into practice and apply the things that you take with you out of this room this morning. So let's allow these truths into our heart. Are you ready? Here we go, three things. Number one, I want you to write these down. Three things that Jesus came to change. Number one, Jesus came to change the process. Jesus came to change the process. Watch this, verse 11. So Christ now has become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not a part of this created world. With his own blood not the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. I like to say this, Jesus is the goat. Jesus is the goat. You ever heard that term before? The goat, right? The greatest of all time, right? You talk about Tom Brady, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, Tiger Woods. Could I tell you who the real goat is? Jesus. He is the greatest of all time. The greatest sacrifice once for all time, for all humanity. Jesus did it, not with the blood of goats and calves. Jesus did it with his own blood. It was the only sacrifice that could appease the righteous standard of God's holiness. Jesus is the goat. If we're talking about human standards, it's Michael Jordan, there's no debate. Don't even come talk to me. It's Michael Jordan. But when you want to talk about the real goat, it's Jesus. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can continue to worship the living God. Why does he say that? Because what made the, the goats and the lambs and the heifers in the Old Testament pure? It was external standards. They were considered pure because they were, ble- they were spotless and without blemish on the outside, right? So what could that sort of sacrifice deal with? the external issues of man. But Jesus came not righteous by his external. Jesus was righteous inside and out. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Therefore, his sacrifice doesn't just deal with the external issues of our life. It deals with the soul of man. It deals with the conscience of man. It deals with the deepest places of sin and brokenness in our life. Could I tell you, there is no external thing that we could ever do that could deal with the internal issues of our soul? Only the blood of Jesus has the ability to deal with the deepest places of brokenness and sin in our life. And it says this, this is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sin they had committed under the first covenant. You know, last week, Pastor Larry preached so beautifully about this reality that the old covenant, the old system, the old process was inadequate. God did not give us the law to teach us how to be perfect. God gave us the law to show us and reveal to us the only one who was perfect. Jesus. See, the law reveals to us how broken we are because there's not one of us who can keep every rule and every regulation and walk this earth perfect. It reveals to us how much we need a savior. And there is only one person who has been able to walk the earth and fulfill everything that the law required and his name is It's Jesus. I mean, you know, Jesus came to establish a new process. Jesus came to change the process. He was perfect and his sacrifice was permanent. He wasn't just spotless on the outside. He was perfect inside and out. You see, the old process was about what you could bring to God. But the new process is all about what God has brought to us. The old process was about your sacrifice, your effort, what you could do. But this new process is all about his sacrifice, what Jesus has already done, the work he accomplished on the cross. How many of you know Jesus does it better than you? His sacrifice is better than anything we could bring. His grace is better than anything that you could ever earn or deserve. His mercy is better than anything that we could live up to. Jesus gives us this gift of grace freely. Anybody grateful for a free gift of grace that you couldn't earn or deserve? Anybody with me this morning? I don't know about you, but I look at my life. I don't deserve the grace of God. I don't deserve his forgiveness. There's not enough good things you can do in this life to make up for your failures and your mistakes, but Jesus in his love and in his mercy came to change the process. But here's the problem. Even though we know this, even though for many of us in this room, we believe this, the tension we deal with is that our flesh constantly wants to drag us back to the old process. Because the old process was about our effort, our work, the sacrifices we could bring. And can I tell you, your flesh likes control. Your flesh likes control. We like to be in control. We like to have a sense of control. There's comfort in control because we feel like as long as we have a level of control, we can find a way to work our way to the outcomes that we desire. When Jesus invites you into a relationship, when Jesus extends grace to you, here's what it requires. It requires surrender. Surrender is uncomfortable because it requires us to let go of control because it's no longer about the work that you can accomplish. It's about finding rest and finding grace, even finding your identity in the work that Jesus has already accomplished. It's the antithesis of everything you are sold in culture. It's the opposite of everything we are taught in this world. Everything in this world tells us that your identity, your worth, and your value is wrapped up in what you can do, what you can achieve, what you can accomplish, what you can earn, how you can be better than other people, how you can work harder than other people, you can achieve more than other people, you can work your way up the corporate ladder, you can perform better in sports, you can earn scholarships, you can earn things. Could I tell you, there is no earning in the kingdom of God. There is only receiving. So we have to come to this reality where we have to wrestle against our flesh and learn how to walk in God's grace. And it's, it's a simple thing, but that doesn't make it an easy thing. Daily, we have to ask the Lord to reveal to us, where are the ways in my life that I'm trying to earn your love, ways I'm trying to earn your grace, ways I'm trying to work to prove to you that I love you, that I deserve your benefits and your blessings in my life. Could I tell you, if that's the system we're gonna operate under, we're in a world of trouble. If you want to work your way to heaven, good luck. But there's an opportunity that we have in Jesus because he came to change the process. He came and gave the only price that was required. And through his finished work, we now have access to relationship with God and it changes everything. Jesus came to change the process. You still with me this morning? Second thing he came to change is this. Jesus came to change the place. He came to change the process, but he came to change the place. It says this in verse eight, by these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place, where was the most holy place. It was where the presence of God dwelt among the people. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open. As long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. Now remember, the tabernacle was the Old Testament mobile place of worship. It later would become the temple. We know this, that in the Old Testament, the way God interacted with his people was locational. Okay. Now, there are some uh, you know, outliers to this, moments where God would do things like meet with Moses at the burning bush, moments where God would put his presence on people like Samson or Elijah or Elisha, where God would meet individuals where they were. But by large part, when God interacted with the corporate body of the nation of Israel, it was locational. His presence dwelt in the tabernacle. The people had to come to the tabernacle and there were two rooms. Someone say two. There were two rooms. There was the holy place, and then there was what? The most holy place. Right now, if you were to come to the tabernacle, there was a process. you had the outer court, you would come, you would bring your sacrifice, and in the outer court, for most people, this was as close as you could get to God. You had to come bring your lamb, you had to come bring your goat, you had to come bring the heifer, the sacrifice, and the priests would stand there with you and they would offer these sacrifices to God and then the priests would go into the holy place, this room right outside of the presence of God, and they would go through their rituals and their rites and they would go through the process Processes of waiting on the, on the Lord and going through all the religious requirements of the, of the duty. But there was one person, who was it? The high priest. This one guy gets access into the most holy place, into the place where the presence of God dwelt. And how often did he go in? Once a year. Once a year, the high priest would come with the blood of the lamb, the blood of goats, and he would have to come with the right sacrifice, the right offering. And this was not, you know, some, uh, you know, haphazard thing. This was a very serious thing because if you went into the presence of God without the right sacrifice, you, it would cost you your life. Once a year, one person gets to go between the people and go into the presence. And in the presence, The the, the high priest then sprinkles the sacrifice where? On the mercy seat, on the seat of atonement, appeasing the, the heart of God, the conscience of God for the sins of people. Now, you could imagine, only this one guy gets to know what's back here. Could you imagine those conversations? What's it like? Oh man, let me tell you. Maybe someday you might get the opportunity to be as holy as I am, to be able to go into the most holy place (laughs) and to experience the presence of God for yourself, right? But only one person. And what does it say here? It says that this tabernacle is a representation of the real thing in heaven. That there is a separation between the presence of God and the people that there is not access to God's presence. What do we know about Jesus? When Jesus came and he died on the cross, how does the gospels describe the moment where Jesus dies? Says that Jesus breathed his last breath and said, it is finished. The work is done. And when Jesus breathed that last breath and said, it is finished, the Bible says that the, the sky roared, that the earth shook and that the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. What is the earthly curtain? It's a representation of what's going on in heaven, right? It's symbolic. Here's what is happening in this moment. This is why it matters to us because in this moment, here's Jesus. He breathes his last breath, gives his life and he goes to heaven, not with the blood of goats and lambs, but Hebrew says, with his own blood. And he enters into the most holy place, into the presence of the living God in heaven. And he brings the only acceptable sacrifice that could ever finally, once for all time, appease the heart of God, deal with the real issue of sin for all humanity. And Jesus, as he fulfills this requirement, does not sit down in the Holy of Holies and go, good luck, guys. Uh, Maybe someday you can do enough good deeds And you can work hard enough that you could experience this for yourself too. Kind of like sitting in coach. You ever have that stewardess like walk by and look at you and go, if only you'd worked a little harder, maybe you could sit in first class too. What does it say that happens when Jesus fulfills this requirement. When he enters the most holy place and he, he satisfies the heart of God, what happens? This curtain is what? Is torn from top to bottom. And all of a sudden, what was once reserved for only a select few, what was once exclusive is now accessible and available to everyone. This presence of God that you could never earn your way to that you can never work your way to, that you can never do enough good things to walk your way into that VIP section of heaven. Jesus throws open the curtain. And why is this important? Because in the Old Testament, the presence of God was in a location. It was in a place. Jesus shows up and the presence of God is suddenly in a person. John 1 says that the word became flesh. That translation is that he tabernacled among us. That he took upon himself this tent that the presence of God would be filled in a person. But when Jesus died and in the Holy Spirit, the presence of God was made accessible to us. It went from a place to a person to now it's personal. Personal. Because you don't have to wait to get to a place to experience the presence of God anymore. Why? Because the New Testament teaches us that the tabernacle of the presence of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit is what? You. You become the place where the presence of God dwells. Can I tell you, when you put your faith in Jesus, the presence of God is with you every. when you need help, where do you need to go? Right where you are. You can can have access to the presence of God wherever you are, because he is with you everywhere you go. When you need grace and mercy and forgiveness, you don't gotta wait till a Sunday to experience it. You can experience it in the middle of a Thursday evening in your living room because you are the place where the presence of God dwells. He is with you wherever you go. Can I tell you, you can experience the presence of God on a Sunday morning the same way you can experience the presence of God on a Monday afternoon in your cubicle, in your house, in your car. And don't hear me wrong. The gathering of the church is special. The New Testament encourages us do not neglect the gathering together. Why? Because there is a a next step, a next experience that we get when we link our faith together, when we worship together, when we have community together. God established and designed for us to do this thing together. But I want you to know this. You don't have to wait to walk into a building to experience the power of God in your life. He's with you. He is for you. He has made himself available to you. For some of us in this room today, this is the reality that we need to start walking in. This is what needs to change in you. You need to stop seeing your relationship with God as locational and you need to really start walking out this idea of it being relational. What does it look like for you to actually commune with God throughout the week? What does it look like for you to access the presence of God? when you're not sitting in a service. Can I tell you, I think for the vast majority of us, this is what needs to change. We need to learn how to walk out this kind of reality. Jesus did not go through the process of dying on the cross, rising again three days later, so that we could attend service and have a relationship with him that is once a week. He came so that we could walk with him every day there would be nearness, there would be intimacy. Last thought, you still with me this morning? Jesus came to change the process. Jesus came to change the place. Jesus came to change people. You see, everything we've been talking about today, the, the sacrificial system, the fact that Jesus made it accessible to us, it's because Jesus came to change people. It was all about people. Verse 27 says, and just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. Watch this. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly wait for him. I'm grateful that this grace isn't just for some, I'm grateful that the mercy of God is not just reserved for the super spiritual, for the Christian elite. It is for all who would call on the name of Jesus. That there's an invitation of change on the table that's for every single one of us. That God would take us from death to life, from sin to redemption, from guilt and shame to peace and joy. And can I tell you one of the ways that God changes the life of a person who experiences grace is this. It changes where you set your gaze because the life lived in our works and in our effort is constantly looking back under the guilt and the shame of our inadequacies and of our failures and the brokenness but a life that has been impacted by the gospel invites us to stop looking back and to start looking forward at two things Number one, this reality that you need to get in your heart. We probably don't talk about it enough. It needs to be on the heart and mind of every believer. Jesus is coming back. It's a promise that he is coming back and none of us know the day, none of us know the hour, none of us know the time, but Jesus will return. And if that's true, he invites us to live our lives differently. What does he say? With eager anticipation with eager anticipation. You know what that means? The life of a believer should wake up in the morning and go, Jesus, how do you wanna use me today? Jesus, what do, you wanna, what do you wanna do in my life today? Jesus, who are the people you're gonna put in front of me that I'm gonna share the gospel with? Jesus, am I living in a way that's pleasing you? Jesus, am I ready for your return? Can I ask you this question? Are you ready for his return this morning? Are you ready? Are you talking to people as if this might be the last chance you have to tell them about eternity? Because it could be. What would happen in the Pacific Northwest if the church stopped bowing to cultural pressure, stopped trying to fit into the cultural norms around you, and we started living with eternity in mind? Because we could be one breath away. From everything that we have fought so hard to earn, so hard to purchase, so hard to accrue, all of it being gone in a breath. But there will be eternal things that will last forever. Are we spending our time, our effort, our treasure on the things that matter? Is your heart focused on the things that will last for eternity? Or are we so caught up in distraction by the temporal things that we're missing out on the mission that God has for us? Jesus came to change the process. He changed the place. But at the end of the day, he did it all to change you. So here's the question I want to leave you with today. What needs to change?